The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. We're starting off another week here. Looking forward to some great shows this week. I'm just trying to figure out my volume is a little bit off here. See, gremlins come into the studio and they do things. And then I have to make adjustments. And when I say gremlins, I mean the Friday night program, Booze, Brews, and Bros, where all things are uh, on the table. Anyway, welcome to the show. Sounds better now. So we have uh, a great show lined up for you tonight. Ronald Meyer is returning guest. We're going to talk about his evidence and the books and movies he's created that relate to this idea that Bigfoot and uh, aliens, alien phenomena, are somehow connected. In fact, they might be directly connected. And Ronald uh, will be talking about that. Again, he's put a movie together about this. He's written about it. And it's going to be a good conversation. We're going to get right to this. We're going to get our guest on the line again. Tonight we're talking with Ronald Meyer. And um, we're talking about the Bigfoot alien connection tonight on the program. It's Beyond Reality, and we'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the show. As I said tonight, we've got a great topic with a returning guest. Ronald Meyer has been on the show before. We're going to be talking about the relationships between paranormal, UFO, and Bigfoot contact experiences. Uh, Ronald, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you here again. Good to be back. I think it was a, a normal ro- world the last time we talked in October. Boy, boy, I'll tell you what, I think you're absolutely right. And it's amazing how quickly things can change, right? My God. It's yeah, like, it's like, it's, I mean, a few short months ago, we kind of, you know, we're, we're living the good life, it seems. And all of a sudden, um, not only do we have this pandemic, which has changed the way we do everything, but then we've got some real strife and stresses around the country that we haven't seen in many, many years. And um, we're all kind of sheltered in place, hoping that it all goes away, I think. Well, I'm certainly ready for it to go away. How are you? How about you? Yeah, I definitely am too. So, what have you been up to since you've been on the show, other than sheltering in place? Anything good going on? Well, um, well I think when we talked last, I was working on a movie called The Bigfoot, The Bigfoot Alien Connection Revealed. Is that correct? Do you remember something like I that? Ab- I absolutely do. Absolutely. Feature film. Well, we finished it, and it came out in. Uh, mid-March on Amazon Prime. Well, congratulations. That's done, great. That's great news. It's done done reasonably well. I got the report from the distributor for the months of April and May, and, of course, the, the virus has probably helped these numbers. And how, make a guess as to how many people you think might have watched it in two months. Oh, man, I have no idea. I, I wouldn't even dare guess. Just go ahead and give me the numbers. Oh, give me a guess. Come on. <laughs> in two months? Yeah. Um, oh, man, I don't know. Uh, 3,000 people. 220,000. Wow. That's fantastic. Would you like those numbers for your show? <laughs> I would love those. Yeah, I'll take those. I'll take them over the course of six months. That's ter- terrific. Congratulations. What do you think draws people to it, particularly on uh, – on uh, on something like Amazon Prime, do you think? Uh, I don't know. What is it? Is it a curiosity that drives people to it, or do you think people are, are kind of scrolling by and say, "Oh, wow, this looks interesting. Let me check it out." What do you think draws them? Well, first of all, when a success builds on Amazon, they have these these you know bots, robots that send. This is something you should watch to people who are customers, right? They, they drive people to the site. Yeah. And, and interestingly, um, I would say if you look at the reviews, they're equally divided pretty much between it's the greatest thing since mother's milk 
of the worst things since, I don't know what, since Trump was elected. Right, right. So, um, and I think that, that, that bodes well for the fact that, that Amazon sees it. If they were all positive reviews, they would think it was sort of a, something that was manufactured by the producer and, right. you know, getting all my friends and relatives to sure. write positive reviews. But since it's evenly distributed between five stars and one star, and then in the middle are a few, four, three, and two. So I don't know what that says. It's, it says that, that people are either ready for this or for multiple groups of people. This, this just isn't something that they can take in. I mean, there's going to be people out there, a good portion of them, we don't believe anything paranormal, I, I would say. There are people that don't believe anything alien, and there are certainly people that you know, think Bigfoot is some sort of hoax. And then within the Bigfoot community, there is a sharp divide between the flesh and blood hunters of Bigfoot, which is probably still the largest cohort there. Right. And then there's a growing community of people for a variety of reasons, have shifted over to something that can't be flesh and blood. So what is it? Well, it's something that's that's paranormal, paraphysical, alien in nature. Can't quite say what, but let's find out. So to get that many positive reviews is a sign that there's a shift going on. Do you think that some of the negative reviews come from people who just disagree with the conclusions that you're drawing or, or, or I mean why, I'm trying to figure out why people would be negative for somebody who's presenting an idea a concept well it's, you know a lot of people that write these things just like to I think to hammer stuff you know it's yeah, in their nature that's what they like to do there's right? certain percentage of people that just like to shout at something they don't they don't like they get a little whiff of something that doesn't settle with them and and that's the basis for rejecting the whole thing, which is probably the most common form of rejection. Like, if you listen carefully, I say this, there's a creature that shows up that looks like a moth, a fairy moth. And I explain that this could not be normal. It's, a, it's the brightest thing in the, in the, in the field of, that we are shooting. The sun is coming the other way. There's no way it could light up that bright. And I say, well, it's a mystery, but it, it, you know, and I didn't do a CGI on it. So I'm convinced that it's something paranormal, that it just could not be that lit up with being a simple moth. But a lot of people don't listen and say, oh, that doesn't look like anything but a moth. So the whole thing is wrong. That's one, one type of reaction to it. And then, of course, some of the people who belong to the hairy beast in the woods are just putting it down because that's you know what they do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, well, and, and, and it's hard to in a, in a way. It's I've done so many productions and I've seen so many reviews. I mean, sometimes you can see that they completely got the whole point, missed the point, said I missed the point, and at the same time that was the point. I mean. Some some of these people just aren't very bright. I think, <laughs> nothing better to do. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, one thing we've all learned from doing any kind of uh, work on social media or any of these digital platforms is that people can hide behind a keyboard and a computer screen and be nasty to people where they wouldn't do that in in if they were face to face. They just uh, something about that changes them a little bit. Yeah, that's the problem with social media. You know, there there are a lot of concerns about the existential threat of of social media, you know, as a form of growing into a form of artificial intelligence that's analog and has no code, has no programming. Doing its own thing. But that's another topic. That is a that is a completely different topic. And I know we've talked about some of these things when you were on the program last, but how did you get into the Bigfoot? Uh, category. What what captured your attention that made you want to work on this? Well, a job offer. It was that simple. Okay. Um, I, I was hired to produce a 
uh, five-part series on the phenomena, the Bigfoot phenomena, which is, you know, quite large. Most people know something about it, wouldn't you say? It's like, oh, I never yeah. heard of Bigfoot. I don't think you'd ever get that reaction anymore. No, everybody's got some familiarity with it, sure. And it's been a really successful advertising tool, if you think about it. You know, there's the Sasquatch this, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. food mm-hmm. associated with it. If you ride around in certain areas of the country, there's the Sasquatch Outpost, there's the Sasquatch Sea Ski Center, you know, so that's it's it's quite a big phenomenon. So I, my job was really to look at the whole big picture, how it got started, um, do a lot of interviews with people who had contact experiences, see if I could figure out if they were making this stuff up or um, they had real experiences. And I came to the conclusion that yeah, they they had they had these experiences. They weren't making it up. They weren't lying. You could see that they were. A lot of them, you know, fell into a state of almost trembling sometimes. That, and a number of them thought they were quite spiritual and transformational and the whole gamut of uh, responses. So that was part of the show. Um, I, I did a and, – and it's become something of a – like bird watching. Mm-hmm. You get a group, group of people together and you go out and do – the wilds, and you look for birds, right? You I... talk about them, and you walk down trails, and you spot them, and right. there's somebody leading the group and tells a story about a bobolink. And so there's a lot of that. You'd be surprised that you could probably in your neighborhood go and Google, maybe not so much now, but, you know, eight months ago you could have Googled, go on a Bigfoot walk, and you'd get some some responses that would say, yeah, sign up here, and people take these walks in the woods and and uh, look for Bigfoot. Sure. And and so it becomes sort of a nothing else. It's a nature walk way to get out. And I went to this. Um, it's called the the Bigfoot Adventure Weekend in Ohio, mm-hmm. where families and people come together and they they camp out and they go on night ops and it was pretty fascinating. In fact. Um, my daughter and one of the people who um, was running the thing got married. So, and they and moved to Colorado, and now they're doing one in Colorado coming up on the seventh of of August. So, things spiral. <laughs> but but at, at a certain point, I interviewed a guy named Jim Myers, and because I wanted to, I wanted to get a sampling of what we you know what what are called Bigfoot researchers. There's a there's a whole community of people that fall into the category of, well, they're researchers, they think. You know, they're, they're investigating. They go out and take reports. Um, they set up trail cams. They do all sorts of things to to try and ferret out what the Bigfoot is in a lot of different ways. And they form organizations and have meetings and go out together and, and a lot of them have experiences, I found, when they do that. Usually not by hunting them down, but quite surprisingly what shows up. So, anyhow, so one of the experts was this guy, Jim Myers. And and I was as I was talking to him, he said, oh, I have a different point of view on this. I, I don't think, you know, that they're a hairy beast. A lot of people who were in the Bigfoot community. They've gone out hunting them for years, and nothing has happened, and they've had experiences, and people talk to them. They don't seem, the Bigfoot doesn't seem to be that hairy beast. They seem to have this other characteristic that's paraphysical. And so I was like, whoa, that's interesting. That's very interesting to me um, as a possibility, because I come to the conclusion that it's just not possible that some sort of ape or lost early human relative would be running around in so many places all over the world. didn't make any sense. So I decided to write a book and play with the idea of Bigfoot as a, as a um, 
called Bigfoot Singular, that Bigfoot was an alien creature and that they were here to learn. And then I created a thriller content around it. But I wasn't satisfied, so I said, I got to, I got to, you know, look at, look more into this. And since I had all this research, I decided to, to make a movie about the, the paraphysical nature of Bigfoot. How's that? I think that, up to speed? yeah, yeah, I think that does a great job with that. Um, when you started the project, though, did you have a, a preconceived notion, if you will, and were you were you originally entering your Bigfoot universe thinking that Bigfoot was a, blood, a flesh and blood creature? Is that where you started? No, I never believed that. You never did. Okay, you never did. It didn't make any sense to me. Well, I think you know, just a superficial look at it just just I mean you don't you don't know I just just I mean, that was just where I was coming from it didn't make any sense so I was, I was interested to see what it was all about so I you know I think the biggest people uh, biggest problem most people have with any of this is the lack of any significant physical evidence. You know, people will show you casts of footprints or photographs of footprints, clumps of hair, broken tree limbs, uh, broken tree trunks, uh, audio recordings, but yet we still can't find bones. We still can't find a, a corpse. We still can't find uh, anything that would put us over, put us over that edge, uh, which makes a flesh-and-blood physical creature difficult to... Except, I would say. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that that was sort of interesting to me is that people have found footprints, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not uncommon. Right. And they make plaster pairs casts of them. And the unique thing about them is that there may be four or five footprints and then that's it. Right, right. There's not a complete trail. They don't start and end. Well, they do start and end, but they don't. You know, they don't take you from a beginning to a, a, a an end point where you find the creature or evidence of the creature. There's just a few footprints and they're gone. Yeah, as if they just dropped out of the heaven. Yeah, showed themselves to somebody, and then popped back into the heavens. And this also, which, which is, yeah, go which ahead. Which is, you know, a pretty typical account. From a lot of people that they see them, they hear them, they for a short period of time, and then it's gone. And they go look, and maybe they'll find footprints, maybe not. But the evidence is the hard evidence is pretty slight, as you just mentioned. Yeah, and you know, the other uh, groups of folks will say, well, it's not necessarily an alien connection; it's an interdimensional being. This is a whole. Uh, another side to this conversation that tries to explain some of the phenomena that we just outlined. Yeah. Um, so, so you separate out kind of the interdimensional paraphysical from the hardcore craft alien type stuff, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the one, one of the sub subgroups of that I encounter doing the movie is that there are people that that think that alien contact is more common in some sort of oh almost like telepathic contact that is it's not it's not in the form of a craft it's it's some other connection with some people that um, you know, a lot, a lot of the reports of lights coming down, and and you know, seem seem to have more that that paraphysical quality rather than there's a craft, which you know is a fair assessment of of some some of the sightings, but that by and large, most of the supposed alien contacts, which I, I think are real. Are more are are more of the nature of some sort of direct communication that's like you say could be interdimensional. I'm beginning to understand a little bit about what that could mean. Um, that's 
basically the reality that lies beyond our senses that can show up and at times for us as little portals into a greater reality. Anyhow. Yeah, you know, I we, we've had enough folks on this program talking about their personal paranormal experiences, whether it is a Bigfoot encounter, or in many cases, it could be a Bigfoot encounter and then a UFO or an alien encounter. So anecdotally, I have noticed this connection for quite some time. But you must have a little more hard numbers or, or, or more solid statistics as, as to how common um, someone encountering a Bigfoot uh, type um, um, exposure is with someone that same person having some type of alien or UFO activity occur within a proximity or a very short period of time. Any any sense of how common that is, and and uh, do you have any hard numbers on that? No, I don't have any hard numbers. That's one of the areas that that's crying out for research is to for sure to gather this information and put it together. Like you said, there are a lot of stories, anecdotes of, of that occurring, um, but it, it hasn't been collated and put in any form that you could look at it in in a normal statistical manner, unfortunately. It'd be nice if it was. But you probably have encountered the same type of anecdotal information that makes you um have a, I mean, obviously, you've you've done a lot of research on the connection to begin with, but you've heard enough of these these stories and people telling you these stories that um, you must feel pretty good about uh, the path you've taken. Yeah, I mean, did you look at the movie? I I did not get a chance to see the film yet. I intend to watch it actually tonight after our discussion. Well, um, just to give you one example. You're, you're familiar with um, Finding Bigfoot, the Animal Planet series that ran for a long time? Yep. Remember Bobo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the investigators. He was quite fat in the series, but now he's quite thin. Mm-hmm. So I did, did an interview with him, and he came clean and said, yeah, that we, not only I personally, but the crew encountered multiple cases of Bigfoot associated with other paranormal phenomena that could be interpreted as orbs or alien, other kinds of alien artifacts or phenomena. And he, he describes one of them in the movie where the whole crew was was sitting on the edge of a wooded area, and they could hear like a Bigfoot chomping through the woods and saw an orb like it was holding an orb in its hand as it walked along. Oh, wow. And, you know, there's a Bible for for doing TV series that makes you stick to a certain way of doing everything. Mm -hmm. You ever try to write for a television series to give you the Bible, and this is with this character. You don't deviate from from what the show is, is always going to be. And 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 that series that ran for a long time, in no way could they ever mention that Bigfoot might be something other than a hairy beast. No matter what they discovered, and of course they couldn't find the couldn't find a Bigfoot because that would put an end to the series. Exactly. <laughs> Kind of a paradox there. Um, we're talking tonight with R- Ronald Meyer. Uh, when did the film come out? It was rather recently, wasn't it? A couple months ago? Yeah, it came out in early March. But your book has been out longer, because we talked about the book last time you were on, Bigfoot Singularity. Yeah, the book since November. Now, if I had had, had the number of book sales that I uh, had $10 a pop for every person that saw the movie, I'd be... Yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be on some island or something. Yeah. I'd be quite rich and famous. Um, so as, as the film uh, came out and people started to watch it in some great numbers, uh, you must have started to get uh, people contacting you with their personal stories. Did you see a lot of these uh, responses from people seeing the film where they had to share their story? Well, you know, I don't. I don't let people contact me that way. I don't have any social media presence in that way. 
By choice. Yeah. Um, probably smart. Come on, like, too many nutcases out there. Yeah. Want. Yeah, especially when we, when we get into some of these fringe topics, it seems to there seems to be an uh, abundance. But um, you, uh, but there, you know, people people work hard enough because I do have a media presence. You know, I've been around a long time and and uh, have a company. You know, that's a production company. Sure. So a few people have worked hard and ferreted me out and found my work email number address and sent me some interesting letters all positive about how this explained experiences for them and and what a relief it was to so you know if you take a time to do all that to tell somebody it's not going to tell they're not going to tell me I'm full of shit I don't think you um uh Ron are uh quite active in fossil collecting I understand tell us a little bit about that and about that part of your life yeah I've been interested in and collecting fossils since I was a teenager. Something fascinating about uh, these creatures that lived a long time ago. I'm actually quite famous. There, there are these sites that are known as Lagerstaten mother loads. Mm-hmm. They are sites that preserve soft tissue, oh, which really? is, if you think about it, you know most most things. Well, for example, when you find a dinosaur, you don't find its skin or its gut, or if you do, it's it's really a rare event, you know, and very exciting. Or if you think about all the insects and animals and that have soft tissue and, and, nothing, and no hard parts. So mostly it's hard parts that are preserved, bones, shells, exoskeletons of things like crabs. Um, and so you don't, you don't, rarely do you ever get a, a complete picture of the ecosystem and biota that, that existed a long time ago. And so at a certain point, I got tired of collecting uh, just uh, a fossil here and there. I went looking for for what, what you'd call Lagerstaten, and there are probably 25 of them. And so far, my friend and I have found two of them, one in the Solarian, which is an early, and then another one in the Artivision, which we're working right now, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, when you find a fossil that actually has soft tissue intact, how do you recover it? Well, first of all, it, you have to think that the circumstances in which this was preserved had to happen very suddenly. Something had right. to bury whatever it is really quick. Mm-hmm. And then after that occurred, there was no possibility of, you know, the normal bacteria um destroying it or something eating it, scavenging. I mean they've done they've done examples of let's say jellyfish, which are all soft tissue. You know what a jellyfish is, right? Sure, yeah. So they they've 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 done experiments where they they have a jellyfish pass away on the beach and they photograph it in a matter of less than a day, something like eighty percent of its of information about what creature it was when it started out is gone. So one of the things that are that we found in um, in the Ordovician site in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, are hundreds of jellyfish preserved, which tells you how extraordinary it is. And so often, what you have to do is find they're, they're contained in a very narrow layer. And you got to find a way to work that layer. Um, in this particular case, the Ordovician site, they're, they're all slightly different. The one, the one, the Solarian one, which we found in Waukesha, Wisconsin, we had to bring the rock back, the layer, freeze and thaw it for multiple times, take a fillet knife, and separate the partings, and then quickly back it so that that the fossil, the rock would deteriorate, and then in this. In the, in the one that we are collecting now in the Upper Peninsula, they're, they're in these things called pops, which I had noticed in another logger in Montana where they preserve early sharks. And you pull up a pop, and in, in it would be a creature. And there, it could either be a hard connection or it could be another 
situation where there's a bunch of layers and you split the layers carefully. You got to do it in the field. And we've found, you know, a, a nuke, a nuke. The first time they ever found this creature called, well, it's got a funny name, but it's related to horseshoe crabs. And there's another one there called Eurypids. And then there's the one we found, which was described for the first time. And we found the actual carapace of the of the animal that lived 423 million years ago. So it's like finding the shell of a lobster. That's amazing. Totally preserved. Yeah, it's so, a, it's amazing. I, you know, I'm I'm reminded of um, you know some of those insect finds, things that have been caught in amber. You know, which seals them yeah. immediately and preserves them. But that's not what you're talking about here. This is way older than that. There weren't any trees. There wasn't, there wasn't anything on the land. Yeah. These, these, these creatures became, and Chasmataspididdle is the name of the creature for some reason. It's a terrible name <laughs> given to it. But uh, we co-authored a paper with two, Two, two PhDs, one at Yale and one in West Virginia. And we, they were able to, I don't, we were able to describe them for the first time completely. And uh, that had never been done before. I've only known from little pieces throughout the record. And it's quite possible that they're the forerunners of one of our favorite kind of creatures, arachnids. <laughs> Not everybody's favorite, I'll tell you that. She loves spiders, ticks. <laughs> we, we, like yeah, our chat room often ha- takes up the topic of spiders. There are a lot of folks that do not want anything to do with spiders. Let's um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, what you've found uh, that you've put in the book and you've put in your movie in terms of evidence that connects Bigfoot with an alien uh, origination. So it goes back in a way. I, I did a series on sacred places a number of years ago, and where there are certain places that have, if you go there, you get a certain feeling, certain things happen. I experienced that myself in a few places. Some of them are Christian, you know, some, some of them are Native American, uh, some are geological, um, where you might say paranormal things happen. People have conversions, and and I was quite fascinated about the about the idea that they were these places that were like this. Have you ever been to one of them? No. Like for example, in the Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming, up around eight thousand feet, you have to drive way up to the top. There, there's this medicine wheel that nobody knows quite what its origin is that was obviously done by the Native Americans before they were white people and I and I and I moved into an altered state when I went up there I went up by myself early in spring so there are sites like that you know there's famous healing spots um, Chamayo in New Mexico they're around if you Google it, you'll find there are lots of them, actually. Okay. So, so what, fascinated, what, what I moved on to beyond Bigfoot, per se, was the idea that, that, like you said, they were showing up in conjunction with other, let's say, non non-human activity, such as, you know, UFOs or aliens in some way. And that, that they were these, what I've come to know, are paranormal hotspots. And so I made it kind of a, a focus of the movie, because it, there's one very famous one, right, in New Mexico, Dulce, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. There are two places where that, that are reported. One, one is in Pennsylvania, still being studied, and then Dulce, New Mexico, where... There was that strong connection between Bigfoot and, and UFOs. 
Do you know anything about Dulce? Should I talk about it? Yeah, go ahead and talk about it, because I know a little bit, but I'm sure our audience needs some background, too. In the 70s, there was, there's a mountain that's to the south. It's, on the, it's, on a, it's in an Apache reservation. So you can't just run around. You have to find somebody to sponsor you if you want to do anything there. But on the on the north side of a river is this thing called Arch, Archuleta Mountain, and it was claimed by some people that there was an alien base in the mountain, and that there was some correlation connection with the base with the U.S. military, and at one point there was an alien battle between the military, which, you know, is highly disputed. But the idea that there are these alien, subterranean alien bases is is a kind of a common, well, a well-known thing that people talk about is the world's connected by all these alien bases and portals that spring up and they're all over the country and they've been mapped out and they're and they're somehow detected by magnetic disruptions. Mm-hmm. You heard of that too, mm-hmm. that theory? Yeah, I have. I've heard I've heard uh, a bunch about the, of, of that and in, in these in the caverns that connect throughout the world and um Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So that that all kind of originated there in uh in Dulce and and then there was there were a lot of reports that were coming out of Dulce in the following years about spotting, you know, UFO craft lights that lit up the whole valley or town. Bigfoot sightings pretty common. Many orbs spotted by people. And you know, it continues to this day. So I thought, well let's go down there and see what we could find. Um and we found we found a guy who, who was a policeman on the reservation for a while, and his son, and they became infatuated with Bigfoot. They had probably the most typical Bigfoot experience that people have is that there's a felt sense of of a presence watching you mm-hmm. and moving with you, but you can't you can't see it, and sometimes you but you can smell it, and sometimes you can hear it. But it's really a profound sense that that you're being eyeballed by something that's not human, which is you know kind of a disturbing quality for some people. Others is kind of fascinating. So both the father and son had had that experience, and they became quite interested in trying to research and find. They found a good footprint, I guess. They made a cast of it. You'll see it in the movie. And they took us on a your typical Bigfoot hunt, which ended up, you know, like most Bigfoot hunts, nothing happening particularly. Right. But the sun, you know, one of the typical things you do in a Bigfoot walk is you grab a stick and you wrap a tree. It's called a wood knot. Yep. And if things are going well for you, you'll get a reply. And we got that once when we were filming the earlier series. But then the the son, he could he could duplicate a wood knock perfectly with his mouth. And one 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 another one of the character unusual characteristic of Bigfoot that's reported is their vocalizations. There's Ron Moorhead recorded a whole bunch of these things. You can look it up on the internet. And it's it's amazing the sounds are recorded. It's been analyzed by linguists. They say it's some sort of language. The octave range is beyond anything that's human or any other animal. Um, and a lot of what a lot of what people experience are vocalizations of Bigfoot. So, and then even some people report that that they'll talk to you in the language of somebody like your wife and and play games with you with their mimicry of of voices. So. It occurred to me that if they are replying, they're not grabbing a stick. They're just doing that mo- a vocalization to make people happy. So where was I? Oh, uh, where Red Dulce? Um, I tried to get get. I talked to a lot of Native people there. They asked them about their experiences, and they all had some. Even the sheriff's wife 
ex-cop's wife, had a profound experience with Bigfoot on the road, a road she won't drive anymore. <laughs> uh, but she would not go on camera and talk about it. But she talked very clearly about it at the lunch we were having. Finally, I did find somebody who um, was an interesting talker, and he told stories of his own experience and a few other people who come to him and tell him what was going on experience-wise. But he, he um, Tim Anderson's the name of the, the law, the ex-law enforcement officer. He had one interesting experience. He said that there's always military activity going on in the valley and around Dulce. Um, black helicopters, as he said, big C-37 transports oh, wow. flying in and out of the valley all the time. Yeah. Um, people full ops gear driving through. And one night once was speeding through and he stopped it. It was a van. And there were two two guys in full full op gear, and uh, you know, like a good good officer, he looked around and looked in the back of the van, and he said there was a cage there. And the and the the the, um, the soldier that was driving said, "Let us go. Don't talk about this." And he never did until you know he did the interview. But I asked him what what was in the cage, and he wouldn't tell me. He wouldn't tell you? No. So it's left to uh, your imagination, uh, which doesn't take too much of a stretch of the imagination to come up with some answers to that question. But, you know, why in the world would there be anybody in full obscure driving down the road? If you look where Dulce is, it's really isolated. There's nothing around there. There's no reason for anybody to be there. Yeah, he would even you'd have to make a big point to get there, and then you know they they have a small casino that that and that's it for that place. It's very poor, so you know there's no reason there to have all that going on. So anyhow, that was fascinating. So my next stage is I wanted to find other spots that were active, paranormal call them hot spots. That's what I'm into these days, that there, that there are multiple of these. Have you heard of that? I'm sorry, I must admit, yeah, you cut out a little bit there. Did I hear of what? I asked you, have you heard about paranormal hotspots? I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, I, I know a lot of paranormal hotspots, but is there something specific that's defined as a paranormal hotspot? Well, I'm making this up. This is my idea. Oh, okay. But there are these places. Well, I probably stole it from somebody I was talking to. Um, <laughs> but there are these these places where over a period of time, usually involving one or two people that are that are geographically centered in this area, that, that a variety of paranormal events occur, ranging for, from Bigfoot, to ghosts, to, oh, what is it? You get these voice recordings, EFPs? Mm hmm. Is that what they're called? Yeah, EVPs. EVPs, yes. Yep. Electronic voice. Okay. Um, all manner of uh, paranormal activity will show up for a period of time in a, in a fairly defined geographic area. And, uh, I've been putting feelers out. If I ever get get freed up to go back to work, I'd like to do a series investigating them. And they seem to be centered around one or two very ordinary people that were, who knows why, you know, they were kind of chosen for this, to witness it. <laughs> hmm. When you... So I, call, I go to two of them. Yeah, go to go. two of them in the movie. Okay. Now I was going. I was going to start to uh, ask about what, 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 if if there's a connection between Bigfoot and, and aliens. If if Bigfoot is alien in origin, origination or origin, uh, what is the point? Is is Bigfoot a tool of of what we know as 
um, you know, the traditional aliens that we, if, if you were to say, you know, tell me what it looks like, I'd give you a description of a gray or something. Or is, or have we been misdescribing the, these aliens the whole time and Bigfoot is actually the creature that we know as an alien? You know, that's an interesting question because shape-shifting seems to be one of their characteristics. Um, that, you know, being Bigfoot may be just one way something is appearing to you. My thought on aliens in general is that there's probably no way we can, you know, have a you can have one on your radio show that their framework for information processing is probably totally different than ours. I mean, we, our framework is pretty much based on what might be called the need to exist. You know, so much of language of purpose and what's it all about all has to do with the fact, you know, that we die (laughs) and we know we die and we have this strong biological impulse to stay alive. But if you don't have that, then talking about, you know, purposes and meaning maybe not make any sense at all. That's kind of where I'm leaning. So when 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 people have these these contact experiences, I think they're they're kinda of like um So, you know, right now you can you can picture somebody you know in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you, wherever you're sitting, you can place them in your visual field and sort of see them there, right? Sure. So it's quite possible that that in some way when they show up, it's sort of like what you just did. Okay. They... But this this contact is is used every time you they have a contact. It's like oh my god, that was a total surprise. It's almost never like I went hunting, trailing, going, and then all of a sudden heard a little crack, and I went further, and then I saw the bigfoot. It, and even if they're out looking, when it shows up, it's a total surprise. So the time and place is chosen by whatever they are. And it's not clear, for, for example, when you that the the way we through our senses see the world, as you probably have heard, is totally made up by our brain. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's really nothing like green in the way we see green, or probably even chairs, you know, because we, this is just the way our brain has made us look at these things, and as Probably, so it wouldn't be hard to imagine the creatures we are to have to have something like a portal open up and 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 they would give us a kind of experience which would would be count as paranormal or paraphysical. Are they mess- in some sense they're the same? Are they messing with us, Ron? Is it? I mean. Why do that? Why put those images in our heads? Why give us a brief glimpse of an encounter, but not a full encounter? Is it is it is the joke on us? Seems to be. Just because we're asking that damn question, huh? <laughs> we, Why are they doing it? we dedicate whole radio and television and movies to shows and movies to it. Um, as you as you start to collect these ideas and and particularly working with the Native Americans, they Native Americans have. Uh, stories that that span generations of encountering these beasts do do they often um have a a companion story that talks about an alien encounter that might go along with their sasquatch type encounters well the only ones i talked to extensively were the apaches okay and and you know they they didn't really seem to be interested in relating their encounters back to their legends, if they have legends. I don't know if the Apaches do or not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was all very recent stuff. You know, what, what okay. we, and they all know that 
that stuff is going on there because they talk to each other. So sure, um, you, you, you kind of expect it. Yeah, you mentioned shape shifting. Now, did you have a personal encounter or uh, personally eyewitness something of a shape shifting nature? I I, um, I had had an experience where I was driving down a road, uh, a divided road. And from a, an adjacent road, gravel road, to, to merge with the lane going the other way, a fairly large wolf-like creature emerged out of nowhere. Um, was was about the size of a horse. It was white. It it I looked at it and I saw it, and some I knew in some sense it was conscious. Um, I, it turned around, took off, and went back down and disappeared. How's that? That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, when we talk about shapeshifters, we also also talk about things that are a little more um, nefarious, or in some cases, there's even some uh, evil connections to it. When we talk about things like. Uh, uh, werewolves or other uh, dogmen or any some of these creatures that other folks have said they've seen shapeshift. Are they connected to this phenomenon as well, or is that something different from what your research has told you? You mean like skinwalkers? Exactly, yes. Yeah, interesting. Tim Anderson, the police officer, said in his youth he saw one up in a tree, and he shot an arrow through it <laughs> and then chased it for a while. So, the question of these nightmare creatures like Dracula and werewolves, mm-hmm. they, they could very well have had their, their origin in some sort of experience, paranormal experience. But then, you know, the legend around them, you know, something else, right? Yeah. No, nobody, nobody's seen a werewolf lately. Right. Unless you go to Fork, Forks, and then they're all teenagers. <laughs> you... So, yeah, these, these are legends. These are all legends. I don't know what to make of the Skinwalker one. Yeah. It seems like the, the most recent, consistent one that permeates, you know, Native culture. And, and there was that property, you know, with skinwalkers on it in Utah. Skinwalker Ranch. There's been a couple docks on that. Yeah, well, there's a. I haven't watched it yet, but that uh, there's a television series now that's exper- experimenting and exploring the phenomena of Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Yeah. Well, you get one of these things, you can get money to do something yeah, about it. Exactly. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've worked with other filmmakers, and obviously you've talked to a lot of people in the process of writing the book or or the film uh, and making the film. Do you have other filmmakers that have actually had some of these experiences that refuse to either either admit it or do anything about it? Um, not really. I mean, I, you know, by and large, that, that hasn't been my crowd most of my career. Um, but, I, I, you know, in a way, I never thought to ask anybody about it either, what they thought or if they, if but, they had experiences. You know, it was like Shirley MacLaine yeah. that people are familiar with. But, um, wow, I mean, most most of my career, I never would have asked a wandering cameraman what kind of experiences he might have had. But I was never around on any of these paranormal shoots. Um, you know, Doug Highcheck, you know who he is? I don't. He started this whole journey. Yeah, I don't. Monster Quest, originally. Okay. And he, he's in the, the the series I did, Chasing Bigfoot. I got to know him on Lightroom because, you know, we were kind of kindred producer souls in a way. And so when I, when I finished the movie, I said, well, I want you to take a look at it, see what you think. I said, yeah, I, I know you're a flesh and blood guy. 
But um, anyhow, give me let, let me know what you think. He said, "Wait a minute, I'm not a flesh and blood guy." Like you're not. <laughs> um, well, I just had to be one for the series. I've had lots of paranormal experiences. I just filmed some orbs, and then they broke my camera. And he told me stories, a number of stories that that he had that were paranormal. When I interviewed him the first time, he he gave no indication. He took it in. In fact, he's got a lab for looking at hairs and stuff like that. How many people that you went to talk to would tell you stories, but then not uh, want to be filmed and relating their stories? And if you had some of those folks, what was the reasoning? Are they just afraid to be ostracized? You know, I didn't have any trouble with anybody except the Native Americans. Okay. And, and they're kind of camera shy anyhow, I think. They're very suspicious of white folk like me and my white crew. But, you know, they were nice. Um, I mean, like I talked to one guy when I was doing another series, and he was a professor, and he asked what I was doing. And, and I told him I was doing that series on Bigfoot, and he started to tremble. Ooh. And, and he... He had an experience when he was a kid, and he spoke about it in public, and he became ostracized and laughed at. You know, it was a terrible thing for him. He was, he went back to what happened to him because he spoke out back then. So there's probably a lot of people that have these experiences that just keep their mouth shut. Yeah. On the other hand, when I tell them what I'm doing, people pipe up of particularly about the strange things they've encountered, ghosts, you know, objects moving around, that sort of stuff. People are willing, eager to talk. Camera's not on, but they'll talk to me. As you go down this road, do you think that you are um, going to continue to find more evidence to support this idea, or do you think we found as much as we can find and we're just going to have to kind of use our best educated guess to make determinations? I think there's more to be found. I'm actually trying to open up a portal on our, I own 40 acres in the Rocky Mountains. Mm -hmm. My son-in-law and I are trying to open up a portal. I'll report back to you maybe in a year how it goes. Yeah. So what do you have to do? What's the process to try to open a portal? Well, I was told that you take divining rods. So we we had heard from some of our neighbors who have comparable 40s. Hardly anybody lives up there, but, but, you know, it's a place that's just nice to go to. Beautiful scenery. And they said that they had reports of UFOs, and some actually said they saw Bigfoot. So it occurred that, that there's some possibility there. So when we started looking, the first time we went with my son-in-law, we found the typical tracks that came from nowhere and ended up going nowhere. Which she said, oh, this, this has some possibility. I couldn't figure out what was going on there, these tracks that were pretty snow um, they were in the snow, and they were somewhat old. There was a lot of melting. Mm-hmm. But they originated in one spot, which was a giant anthill that had sort of, well, the, the sun had melted, though, because of the darker nature of the anthill at Mars. So uh, the footprints started there, or ended there, it's hard to say. Uh, my son-in-law tracked the other direction. He went to a tree and disappeared. So that's that. Well, this this is interesting. Maybe something's going on here. And then one of the things you do is you take divining rods and a sensitive. Do people know what divining rods are? Yeah, we've talked about them on the program before. Sure. And you ask, is there a portal, and where is the portal? Mm-hmm. And we got we got positive answers. We did a, a one little. Um, gifting experiment where you offer objects and see if they'll play and move them or do something or replace it with something else. And we put a feather in a bottle and hid it under a rock that nobody could ever find because, well, nobody's ever there, but 
you would have to be kind of crazy to crawl amongst the bushes and and pull out a bottle. But the second time we went back, the feather was out of the bottle and sticking in a crevice. And and using divining rods, it, it pointed to us, pointed us to where the supposed portal is. Now we're investigating. If you find a portal, if you actually can open this portal, what happens next? Is that do you expect that you you can either travel uh, through it, or Bigfoot or other creatures might come through it? More like the latter. That that the, the there will be an increase in paranormal activity. I see. Like if you stay over in the middle, even during the day, people will start experiencing stuff. Mm. And, you know, it might play with you. You don't think any of this is dangerous, do you, Ron? It's not my gut feeling. Although, you know, if you're mentally unstable, it might, you know, screw you up in some way. Well, I think there's a, you know, there's an aspect to it that it could screw anybody up. But whether it's malicious or not is a different story. And, you know, I had said jokingly before, are they just playing with us? Uh, I mean, I guess we have to assume if they aren't malicious, then they are just playing with us. Maybe it's fun. By definition, they got to be smarter than us, right? Yeah, I would say so. Because we haven't even gotten off the planet yet. <laughs> that's that's made right. Any, made any contact with it. And, um, you know, all, all our sciences say our intuitions are full of shit, right? Mm-hmm. You hear the strange stuff about quantum mechanics. It makes no sense. Right doesn't our relativity that that so what's next in your quest here i mean what's next what's next for you are you going to continue to write about this phenomenon with more evidence or are you going to uh um make a a follow-up film um i know that you don't sit still for very long so is is the portal project something that you're hoping to write about someday i could write i'm making notes now been advised to do that as we all sure working on it mm-hmm. but i i would like to do a series investigating these other paranormal hot spots in a way that devoted to them and see if i could come up with some pattern um and i and i know some maybe if you know of one let me know okay so you got you got to have probably bigfoot sightings or other or other bigfoot like creature sightings some sort, something to do with with alien presence, craft, something like that. Um, possibly some ghost activity, past or present. Um, and if you were to do some recordings, uh, those recordings that record voices, mm-hmm. you pick something up. It'd be very, very active. It's been going on for some time, and I, I think you know if you've. If, you, if I were to go there and hang out and film for a while and get a sense of what's going on and the kind of people that are been having these experiences, we'll probably get something. Because I, I asked one person who was very knowledgeable about this when I had that experience with that, that wolf-type creature. I said, what do you think it means? And he said, I think it means they're happy with what you're doing. Oh, okay. Well, that's encouraging. But you know, this is not a time to pitch anything to anybody. No, it's not. Nobody's making any decisions. <laughs> no, nobody's doing anything. Everybody's everybody's kind of like deer in headlights right now. So the the film was released just a couple months ago. It's called The Bigfoot Alien Connection Revealed, and it's on Amazon Prime. Right, anybody who's got Amazon Prime can watch it right away, um, or you can go there and, and I'm I'm sure it's a pay per view kind of thing. Yeah, you could rent it or. Downloaded, yeah, for sure. Uh, and um, and then when the book, and the book is cheap, and the book is still available, right? Yeah, on Amazon again or Barnes and Noble. If you had to uh, offer um, somebody who was a flesh and blooder for Bigfoot, said no, this is a ape-like creature, maybe the missing link or whatever, you know, whatever the hundred stories are. Um, and you're going to, you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. How would you, in a couple sentences, 
try to change their mind? Well, first of all, I'd want to find out if they had an experience. You know, a contact experience with a Bigfoot. Right. A lot, lot, of, lot of researchers who make these arguments haven't had any experiences. That's true. If, if, they, if they haven't had any, um, I, I would say, why, why haven't you, why haven't you had any experiences? Running around like this is what's going on. Why, what's your problem? And see if they could justify all the time they spend with no results. And if they had an experience, I'd, I'd want to delve into asking what it was like for them and why that caused them to, you know, to start researching Bigfoot. And then maybe the conversation, depending upon the experience, it might be able to say, here's something. It's quite unusual about your experience. I think that would happen with a gorilla, something like that. <laughs> right. Good. Well, um, we're out of time, Ron, but uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and I love to hear your perspective on, on all of this. Promise me that if you make any progress or have any new work as related to the Portal Project or anything you're doing, you let us know because we'd love to have you back on. I would, and if anybody in your audience could, I don't know if they can connect with you or not, but... They have any portals they know about? I'd like to know. Okay, I'll, actually, I'll post that on our social media. They can contact us if they have any information like that, and I'll forward it to you. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.